so happy that my wife hears from the Lord. The reason I say that is because as we were worshiping over here, I was saying to the Lord, God, I have something to say before I even open and get into the word, but I don't want to forget. And I feel like I want to say it now. And I was thinking about interrupting worship just to say it. But then I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then she said, let's just get right into it. And so thank you, Janie, for being sensitive to the Lord. And the word I was going to tell you is that when I was down there, I felt God telling me that there is such a sensitivity in this ministry. And it's going to keep growing. And the sensitivity is different from any other place that you will find in Boca, in South Florida, and anywhere else. And it's going to be a growing sensitivity. And God is saying, I can't wait to see where this continues to grow. And he says it's going to begin with the leadership. And as the leadership continues to grow more sensitive to me, I will give more freedom in this place. And when we stop focusing on all the things that we plan and want to do, nothing wrong with planning. God honors that. But God is saying he is proud of us, this ministry, for opening up our hearts so eagerly and openly to receive whatever he wants to do. And God is saying, I honor that so much. And he is definitely going to pour out his spirit upon this generation. I'm here to tell you that 2022 is sparking something. I just see two rocks just like clashing together and clashing together and clashing together. And it's the hand of God working in this place. And the rocks are sparking. And 2022 is sparking right now. And I'm telling you that a fire is coming. A fire is coming. Be in prayer. I don't know how much you pray. I don't know if you pray. But if you don't, start praying because something is about to happen. And I'm looking for the growth of this, this sensitivity in this ministry. And I'm glad that you guys are here with us. And also I wanted to, to say, um, band, if you would, everyone who's part of the band, from drummers to musicians to singers, thank you for what you you've done tonight and, and, and the sensitivity, again, for, for bringing this. And I want you guys to stay after. I want to talk to you um, a little bit. Anybody who is part of the band, in fact, I want to talk to you. So don't go nowhere right after service. Just remind me. Um, we'll be right here on stage and we'll be talking, all right? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. To Second Chronicles, chapter 20. We're going to be reading 2 to 4, and then we're going to jump to, I believe, uh, 16 and 17. Second Chronicles, 20, 2 to 4, and then we'll jump to 16 and 17. Thank you for everyone who um, prayed for Jenny and myself while we were gone. Um, corona that hit me twice. Uh, <laughs> you got me, Corona. <laughs> And, um, but we, I, we went through it, obviously, uh, thank God it wasn't really that bad. Um, and just continue to pray for everyone who, who actually is, is dealing with the coronavirus even now. And I'm going to ask also, because there's been a spike in, in cases, that we be careful also um, as we hug each other. And the last thing we want to do is continue to spread. So fist bump as much as you can in this place. If it's somebody you live with, okay, give them a hug. But please respect everyone as they come and, and give them a fist bump or something like that, all right? Who's there? Who's not there? Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. 
the scripture, Second Chronicles. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading. The word says, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And jumping to verse 16, because before, right in the middle of that, all it is is a prayer. The people are crying out to God. Judah is crying out. The king is talking to God and reminding God of all the promises. And then in verse 16, a prophet came. Uh, I believe his name was Jahazel or Jahael. It's, he said, tomorrow, march down against them, the enemy, and they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Can somebody say amen? Come on, say it louder. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Can somebody say amen to the reading of the word of God? The prophet said, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. What's the opposite of discouragement? Joy, right? <laughs> Y'all was like, well, I'm wrong. But, yeah, what you said was right too. But it's joy. If I'm opposite of discouragement, in other words, be joyful. Be all right with what's happening in this moment, and the Lord will be with you. And the title of my message um, tonight is Joy in the Battle. Can somebody say that out loud with me? Joy in the Battle. Finding joy in the battle. And um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do. God, we bless you. We pray that you would bless this word. Come into our hearts. Come into this place as you already are, actually. We thank you. I pray that you would move. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, amen. amen. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. And uh, some of you may have already known. Some of you don't know about me. Um, I was in the Air Force. And um, I don't know why I did that because... I hate fighting. Yeah. I, I hate fighting. I, I'm, I'm the type of person that if you call me to, to go, you know, throw hands or something like that, as they say nowadays, um, that's not me. I'm not about fighting. I'm a lover. That's who I am. Always been that way. Think I always will be that way. Um, but I ended up going to the Air Force, and I think the reason I went is because of travel. I wanted to experience travel. I wanted to go places and stuff like that. But when I got in... I found that the people in the Air Force weren't the most sane people. When I was in basic training, I ended up uh, just, we were in the dorms. We all sleep together. Just to give you an idea, the dorms are about this big and another side, the same room. And there's nothing but beds. And there's no sectioning off, nothing. You have no privacy. You're just in there with guys walking around butt naked, right? And so we're sitting there. And we're just having a downtime. And some people are reading, some people are just, you know, looking at pictures, some people are reading notes from their parents. And some guy out of the blue, kind of near me, stood up 
And in the quiet, he stands up and he goes, who wants to fight? I looked at him like, yo, something's wrong with this one. I think he's broken. And so I said, sure enough, somebody's going to stop him or say something because I ain't going to be the one because I'm not the one who's going to try to fight him. And so another guy stood up, and I was like, praise the Lord. We got some guy who's going to stand up and, and, and protect us. The guy stood up, and he said, I do. I said, something wrong with two of them. I said, what's going on over there? Before you know it, you had guys standing up here and there saying, let's fight. Let's do this. Let's get out. And I'm talking about these guys started salivating out the mouth like a wild pack of wolves who was trying to chase after one piece of meat. And it was, um, it was crazy. And my heart's pounding and my gut is dropping. And I'm like, something's happening. I'm afraid, mommy, come help me. Right? And so at this point, everyone started gravitating towards the bathroom. To give you an image of what the bathroom was like, it was cold, hard, like stone. And we had um, just the, 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 the bathroom stalls here. You had hard sinks here. You had showers over there, but a large space where we could just gather around and form a circle and fight. And so these guys started coming in, people like grabbing my arms, come on, let's go. And I wanted to be like, no, I ain't going nowhere. But I thought, okay, if I did that, they'll be like, he's a coward, they're going to jump me. So I started saying, yeah, let's fight, let's do this, all right, let's go. We ended up in the bathroom. And as we're in the bathroom, these guys form a circle and the ringleader begins to give instruction. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Two guys are going to um, stand in the middle and we're going to fight, we're going to wrestle Whoever drops the other one down to the floor to submission, they got to tap three times if you submit. And whoever wins will get up, point somebody out, and say, you come now, and you pick who you want to fight. And so everyone's going to have to go at some point. So, again, my heart's pounding. I'm like, what am I going to do? These guys are fighting about the fifth fight. I'm trying not to make eye contact with the winner. I'm just sitting there going, like, oh, yeah, let's fight, guys. Come on, you know. And the guy gets up out of the crowd, and he sees me, and he goes, Agonor. I was like, that's my last name if you didn't know. I was like, oh, my gosh, here it comes. So people push me right in the middle of the circle. And I'm standing there going, what am I going to do? I'm looking around, and I have plan A. Plan A is to pick the smallest and frailest person in the room. And as I looked, I realized that I'm the smallest and frailest person in the room. Plan B. Plan B was to find someone who doesn't hate me. And so my eyes caught to a friend of mine by the name of Andrew Clayton. Andrew Clayton had a disability. His arms didn't go all the way down. Do you know Steve Urkel? He walks kind of like this. That was Andrew Clayton. Unfortunately, his arms didn't stretch out. All, and I was like, all right, you know, Andrew's kind of frail. And we're friends, so he won't hurt me. And so we had this eye contact conversation. You ever had that kind of conversation with somebody? Like you know what their eyes are saying. I looked at him, and I, and, and I just didn't have to say anything. I looked at him, and I said, I said hey, dude, I'm going to pick you. And then his eyes said back, you better not. And then my eyes said back, I have to. And his eyes said back, I'm going to destroy you. My eyes said back, well, let's do this. And so I said, Clayton. They throw him in a circle. And the first thing that comes into mind, I was like, my cousin used to teach me how to wrestle because he was a wrestler in high school. I said, let me do what he told me to do. First thing I did, I grabbed his neck. 
and I put my head against his head and I started pressing. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. My heart's pounding and racing and I'm sure his is too. And we're tussling and we're holding each other for like five minutes, doing nothing. And then I realized at some point, you know what? These guys are gonna realize that we're faking it and they're gonna jump both of us. So I said, I gotta do something to get this thing moving. And at some point, I said, I'm gonna try something different. My arm was holding his other arm, his right arm. And so I said, all right, I'm gonna pull it down. I pulled his arm down, I jerked his shoulder down and fell. And as his momentum was going down, I saw an opportunity to capitalize. And so I grabbed him by the head and dropped him on the floor and I held him and I squeezed as hard as I could. I got, a point, I got to a point where I, I dropped him and I held, you know, my, wrapped my leg around him, I kept holding. And he started tapping and tapping and tapping. And he's sitting there, I got up and I started raising my hands and screaming, yeah, yeah. And I looked down and Clayton's sitting there with his tongue hanging out of his mouth, breathing for life. And I'm like, this is crazy. Finally, he got up, and then I realized something. I thought I hated fighting. But then there was a point in the fight where I started to thoroughly enjoy it. And I could tell you exactly what point in the fight it was. It was when I was winning. When I realized that the victory was mine... I started to enjoy the fight even though I hate fighting and I'm afraid of it. And it's the same situation in the same case in the spiritual battles that you will face in 2022. You don't have to chase a fight. You don't have to chase after a problem. You don't have to chase after something that's going to be a trial in your life. These things will automatically come to you. I will guarantee you in 2022, Half of this room, if not all of this room, will face a trial or a battle. You're probably going through one right now. But here's the key. You can actually enjoy or actually have joy in the battles that you face. How do I know this? It's because the Bible tells me that we've already won. The Bible tells me in this scripture that we're not actually doing the fighting, but God is doing the fighting for us. And so if God is doing the fighting for us and we already have the victory, I'm here to tell you that you can actually have joy in every battle. You can actually find joy in every battle. Does that mean that if you go through loss, you're going to be like, woohoo, I'm enjoying this. It doesn't mean that. If you're fighting and you get a hit, it's still going to hurt, but that doesn't mean that you've lost a fight. So you can just hold on to the fact that you've already won. And you can find joy in the battles. So in the scripture here, we see in 2 Chronicles, in, verse, in chapter 20, verse 2 to 4, it says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat that the war or the battle came to him. A vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's already in Hezezon Tamar. And Jehoshaphat, first thing he did is he resolved to inquire of the Lord. So here's what I'm going to tell you, the first step, and we're not going to be long on this one because it's very easy. The first step to finding joy in every battle, number one, is seeking the Lord. And that's how you get that guarantee of victory because if you're not with him, why should he be with you? The, the key thing here is you can't go through anything else I'm going to say tonight unless this is your first step, that you are willing to seek the Lord on everything that you're going to go through in 2022. 
But here's where I'm going to continue. The second step to find and join the battle is knowing that you are already a step ahead of the enemy. Verse 16 says this. The prophet came to them and said, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. In other words, the prophet told them three key things. He told them three key things that was essential for finding this joy that I'm talking about. Number one is that he told them to know your opponent. In every sports organization, you will find people who study their adversary, people who study their opponents. You come into a, a, a fight or like, like a, a boxing match or something, people will sit there and watch videos of how their opponent fights. They watch videos of how the other football player plays. They watch videos of how the other basketball players play. So in every battle, in every situation like that, you'll find people watching the video. And you know what watching the video is for Christians? Reading your word. Because in the word, you will know how your enemy operates. You'll know how he fights. The prophet told them these three, three things. You know what they were? He told them the timing of the enemy. He told them the position of the enemy. He also told them the location of the enemy. Tomorrow, you will find them. That's the timing. They will be climbing. That's the position. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert. That's his location. And I'm here to tell you that if you can know the timing, the position, and the location of what the enemy wants to do for you in your life, you will start to see his tricks and tactics, and you'll know how to avoid and still have joy in the battle. All right? So what, how does the enemy operate? What are your enemy's habits, in other words? The first thing is his timing. I want to first tell you that the devil is not omniscient. In other words, he's not everywhere at the same time. So if you think that you, you hopped out of, you know, a, a, a barbershop and you got a bad haircut, you say, man, the devil messed me up. That ain't the enemy. Chances are. Every circumstance that you find yourself fighting in doesn't have to be the devil. The devil is not behind every bush. He can't be behind every bush because he is not omniscient. But he does send minions. He does send his demons to come and attach themselves to you, be around you. Sometimes, if you don't know Jesus, possess you. And so it's important for us to know what times or, or when the enemy is going to send his demons after us. And I'm here to tell you that I've realized in my life that it's often not the low moments in my life I get attacked by the enemy, but it's the high moments. When I find myself in the valley, I could be praying and praying and praying, and I'm in circumstances, but I'm not really being attacked with new circumstances all the time. Sometimes you do. But the, the, the times I realize that the enemy is very persistent with me is when I am on the apex of my faith. When I am up there and I'm feeling that, that faith high. I remember coming out of a service in this very room and people were running around and we had a, just a powerful 
service, a message was good, the word was good, everything, everyone came out of here on a faith high. I stepped out and I had to drop a friend home. He's handicapped, so we drove over to his house and we parked in the handicapped spot and his door was right there and we were watching. But we're talking if we're Christians. So we started talking in the car. We sat in the car for maybe a good 20 minutes just having a conversation. And while we were there, someone must have looked out of the window and called the cops on us because we were sitting in the car having a conversation. It maybe looked sketchy to them. So as we're talking, I did not get a knock on my window. I didn't get a whoop, nothing like that. All I heard was, hey, put your hands up. It's like, who is screaming out there like that? And the first thing I'm thinking is like this, I'm not even thinking cop. I'm like, who is screaming? And it went on for like a good like minute before I realized. And then he turned around, actually. He looked, he said, hey, there's a cop pointing a gun at us. I said, what? I was like, you're joking. I turned around and sure enough, a guy's pointing a gun right like at a distance from me to Daniel at my head. And um, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of scary. And so he's like, put your hands up. And then he's saying these things and he sounds like he's slurring his words. I don't know if he had a speech impediment. But I thought this can't be serious. This must be like a punk episode or something like that and we're going to be on TV. And so I kind of take it as a joke for a second. I'm like, nah, he's joking. I put my window down. I was like, hey, what's going on? He goes, I said, put your hands out the window. I was like, okay, ha ha. Put my hands out the window. And turns out it was a real cop. We go through this whole crazy episode. And at the end of the day, um, he went home. Other cops came. Things got resolved. We weren't guilty of anything, obviously. And it was just a weird, weird day. But I thought to myself, the whole time, I just came out of an amazing service, and this happens. And I kept reminding myself, I just came out of an amazing service, and this just happened. I knew this was the timing of the enemy. You see, because if you don't know that it's the timing of the enemy, you will handle the situation differently. And that's how the enemy wins. If you don't remember that it is the enemy operating, you start taking it out on people. Imagine if I didn't say, well, this is the enemy operating. Let me just operate in, the, in, in a calm manner. I could have started cursing him out. I could have started saying stuff like, you know, it's, it's crazy. What are you doing? And, you know, I would have been the next victim. But when you know that it's the enemy's timing, you handle things a little bit differently. The second thing the prophet told them was the enemy's position. And you have to know the position of the enemy. And position often serves as your identity. Daniel, what's your position here at Church of All Nations? The facilities manager. Oh, that's his position, so that's what you do. Is that what you wanna do? Of course not, because that's what you do. You already do it. So when we look at the Bible and we read it, often we get it mixed up, the devil's position. We always say, well, the, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, so that's what he does, uh, wrong. That's what he wants to do. You see, that's not his position, that's his desire. When you start to think about the enemy's position versus his desire and you mix it up, you lose power because you start to make him more powerful than he really is. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't do it unless you give him the authority to. Do you understand what I'm saying? God says that you have the authority over all the power of the enemy. That means your authority 
if you don't check it or know what it's actually supposed to do, you might actually give him authority to rule over you. You have authority over all the power of the enemy. And so when you look at the enemy, we often think that he is the opposite of God. Uh, wrong. The enemy is not close to the opposite of God. The enemy is a fallen angel. He is not uh, uh, good and evil as in, as in God is good and the devil is bad. That's how they teach you on TV to, to think that the enemy that has that much power. No, he is a fallen angel. He is a defeated beast. That's all he is. In fact, the Bible says that he will be under your feet. And so when you know your authority, when you know your position, when it comes to God, angels, people, fallen angels, you start to understand, wow, the enemy actually has no power and no dominion over me unless I give him the power over me. You have power. <laughs> Y'all funny. I got twins up here talking about, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Praise the Lord. The devil is not above you. He is not the opposite of God. The devil is absolutely beneath you. The third thing that the prophet told them was the, the enemy's location. And when I want to talk about location, I want to talk about omnipotence, right? The devil is not, I'm sorry, omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. And we give him too much credit for that also. And there are places, we're talking about location, there are places that the, de that the devil's minions like to frequent. And if we're not careful in positioning ourselves or placing ourselves in the right locations, we might end up putting ourselves in places where we're more vulnerable to the enemy. And so that, that doesn't mean just going to the club and going here and going there. That actually means that if God is calling you to A, you can't be at B. And if you're not praying, then you'll find yourself being in a place where you're making yourself more susceptible to his tricks and his wiles. And, and, and when you're praying and seeking God and being in his will, he's, he's purposely putting you in places where he's making you avoid those tricks. And if we're talking about the location of the enemy, that's the one thing that is up to us in a sense. The enemy's not gonna be like, hey, uh, come to my place. No, it's your decision to go to the place. It's your decision to run from God. And whenever you run from God, you're running towards the enemy. Y'all can write that down. Whenever you run from God, you are running towards the enemy. And so the second thing I want to bring out to you is to find joy in every battle is seizing your opportunities. Seizing your opportunities. Often God calls us to something great, but we don't seize the opportunity mainly because of fear. And I think I might have said that like four weeks ago. But the verse here tells the people, do not be afraid. Failure is essential for growth. Uh, the great Dr. Valmir quoted something. He had me um, check his book. I was so honored. Like his first book that he wrote, he didn't bring it out yet. He was like, hey, I'm writing a book. Would you read it for me? And I started reading it. I was like, man, you got some good nuggets in this thing. And there's one thing that I pulled from it. He said that the only moment you can really achieve something meaningful is the moment you make yourself vulnerable to failure. 
if you're not willing to make yourself vulnerable to say, I actually don't mind as long as I trust in God, I actually don't mind failing. If you're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable to failure, you will always live in fear. And this takes courage. It takes endurance and it also takes patience. But we don't have time to go over courage and endurance and all this stuff. You can check that out in my book. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but we'll talk about patience right now. Patience is that one thing that we get kind of twisted and mixed up also. Because patience is not something that's good for offense in, in this battle. Like you don't... You don't Hit the enemy with patience. You actually don't use patience for defense either, though. You don't, you, don't, you don't block the enemy with patience. But you know what patience is good for? It's taking blows. And, and sometimes in the battle, God calls you to take blows. God calls you to go through times where you will absolutely take blows. And there's a reason and there's a purpose for that. And, and, and it, it, there's a funny excerpt that I read a long time ago. It said, um, Lord, don't give me strength. Because if you give me strength, I'm going to need uh, bail money because I'm going to hurt a lot of people. And, and this is coming from a person who is probably already hurt. As you know, hurt people hurt people. And often when we pray to God, when we're going through tough times, we always ask for strength, isn't it? The first, like, give me strength to go through this, Lord. No, you don't need strength because if God gave you strength in this moment, you'd be swinging at everybody. And you'd be swinging in the wrong directions. You don't need strength. You need patience. And that's the one thing that we never ask. We need patience to, to withstand, to stay here, to, to be patient and, and silent in the moment so that God could do something. Muhammad Ali had this thing that he did. was called the rope-a-dope. So what he would do is when he would, he would be fighting... He would lean against the ropes and he would put his hands down and he would watch his opponent just, just swing at him. And he would lean against and he would try to avoid as much as he could. And then his enemy would keep swinging and swinging and swinging. Some would catch him, some would hit him. It would be painful for a moment. But then he would watch his enemy's eyes. The moment he got tired, then he said, now it's my turn. That's what patience is good for. When you're going through the battle... Be patient even though you're taking blows because there's a time that is going to come, God is going to say, get up and strike. Wow. Have you noticed that in Galatians, when it's talking about things, Galatians, when it's talking about the armor of God, it's talking about the armor of God, you find that there is a helmet of salvation for, for defense. You find that there's a breastplate of righteousness for defense, a shield of faith for defense, belt of truth for defense, shoes of peace, of the gospel of peace for defense. And then he gives you a sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive weapon that you have. That's because every time the enemy comes, you have to be patient, waiting, taking blows until God says, now it's time. Pick up the word and go. There's a time that is coming for you to do that, but you got to be patient even in the pain. Amen. Amen. We often get in this battle and we swing. We go, man, I'm missed. And I'm just going to sit here where it's safe. In my bed, curled up, crying. And, and that's what you call patience. That ain't patient. Curled up, crying, waiting for something to change. Not even praying anymore, just giving up. 
And I'm here to tell you that if you're comfortable with where you are right now, that's all well and good if you are saved. But if you are looking to grow, growth only comes under pressure. Ask seeds that are underground being pressured by this dirt. Growth only comes through pressure. Growth only comes by friction. Ask the muscle-bound men who, who are working out all the time. Growth only comes by pruning. Ask the farmer who knows what it means to cut off dead leaves that, they, that he could increase more leaves. And if you're not willing to be pruned in this season of battle, if you're not willing to be going through friction in this season of battle, if you're not willing to go under pressure in this season of battle, there is no such thing as growth for you. And it's vital and it's important for you to go through it because that's God's purpose and plan for your life. Be patient. Amen. The third thing is visualize the win. This sounds like some motivational talk stuff, but it's not. It's, it's real. Visualize the, 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 the win. Um, when I was coming over here, um, Jenny just asked me to come over. Well, that was Vinny and Natasha asked me to come and get them some Chipotle. And I'm so happy I didn't have Judah in the car because I was like, oh, I got to get back to the river. And I started driving. I hit, I hit the, the gas trying to beat a, um, a, a yellow light. And the moment I, I went past the yellow light, a car was coming so close to me. It almost hit the tail of my car. And my first instinct when you come in across an accident is like to hit the brake. But for some reason, something told me just, just hit the gas harder. And I hit the gas harder and the car in front of me was, was so close that I swerved. And thank God that the car that was coming on the side was like so far back that I didn't hit him just by swerving so fast. And um, I just lied to you. Um, Y'all caught it because I did that to you before. The reason I did that is to do something very specific, is to paint vision for you. That, that's, the, that's, that's the power. Let me tell you something. How many of y'all felt something when I was telling you that? How, yeah, you feel betrayed now. But how, when, <laughs> when I was telling you that, you felt like, ooh, oh my gosh. Oh, he almost got, ah. you know, you're feeling something. It's because I did something specific. It's called painting vision. I painted vision for you. I made you visualize something. And, and there's so much power in vision. That's why every church you go to, every pastor is like, man, you got to paint a vision for these people. If you don't, and then the word says, without vision, my people perish. There's something so powerful about vision, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Visualize the win because there is power in vision. Athletes who focus on winning before the game often win. Michael Jordan said something that was so powerful when I heard it. He said, before every single game, before every single game, he sits down in silence and he, he visualizes every move. He pictures every crossover. He thinks about the last shot. He thinks about his, all the, all the, the, the videos he watched about his game. He thinks about their moves. He visualizes him holding the trophy in his hands. And he paints vision for himself up until he's walking down that place with the trophy in his hands from what he visualized. And that's the most powerful thing. Imagine if Christians who have the power of God would begin to seek God about vision. They say, God, what's the vision for my life? 
and for me to, to meditate on the vision and to meditate on your word so I could lead my life. A lot of us wouldn't be single up in here. Come on, somebody. I had to talk like that. It just sounds cooler. And a lot of us, a lot of us would be would be so further down the line in our careers. Let's just be real and honest. A lot of us would be at the places where we didn't think that we would be. But you have to be seeking God and painting vision for yourself, especially when you're in the battle. Visualize that when Moses in Exodus chapter 4, 1 through 5, has a conversation with God when God calls Moses. And the word says that Moses answered, if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses is concerned that the people will be talking about him. Oh, he ain't hear from the Lord. God looks at Moses and says, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. That sounds like a song. Um, <laughs> Moses threw it on the ground, and the Bible says that it became a snake. And then the Bible says that Moses ran from it. The Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I want you to take note of what's happening here. God tells Moses what is in your hand. It's a staff. In other words, what do you have? And you hear it all the time through sermons. What is it that you have? And what are you willing to give to the Lord? So Moses gives this thing to the Lord, and this could represent a lot of things. It could represent the vision that God gives to us, the gifts that God gives to us. Are we willing to give it back to him? And Moses says, you know what, do with it what you will. And so, and so God says, okay, well, I want you to throw it on the ground. So Moses throws the staff on the ground. And then God decides to turn this thing into the most ferocious and fierce animal that we could actually think of. I mean, honestly, the miracle would have been even great if he turned it into a rabbit. He could have turned it into anything that he wanted, but he chose something that was fierce and to be feared, like Pharaoh. And then he says, take control over it. You know, like in Egypt, Pharaohs had serpents on their head. That represented, I think, Pharaoh or Egypt. He said, take it now, take it up, hold it up. Even more than that, he says to him, pick it up. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, Moses just ran from it. That tells me what he was feeling at the time, fear of what? His stick. Fear of the snake, but fear of his stick. That tells me that when you choose to give God whatever he asks for, when you give it to him, he will turn it into something so fierce that sometimes you'll be afraid of your own gift. How many of us in this place where God has told us to go do something and we're like, you know that, you know that feeling? But it ain't God if it ain't. It's got to be scary. And God is saying, I'm going to turn whatever I gave to you in your hand is dormant. It doesn't move. It has no effect but for walking. Getting you from point A to point B like a nobody. 
but give it to me and watch what I turn it into. And then you're going to have control over it. But then God goes a step further and does something that is so, so significant and powerful that I, it, it brings me to awe. God tells Moses to pick it up, but specifically by the tail. And I said to myself, man, what, what does that even mean? Imagine when God calls you to something and then he says to pick it up and you pick it up by the head. The head of that snake is the most ferocious part of that snake. Often when God calls us to things, the problem that we have is we hold the vision by the head. All we're thinking about is the beginning. How hard it's going to be. How ugly this job is. How, how hard and how tough and how ferocious this thing is. And the more and more you hold on to the beginning of the vision is the more fear that you put into your heart. God could have said, Moses, pick it up by the middle. And if Moses had picked it up by the middle, the middle is the part that's the most work. Because that's when the head is moving and the tail is moving. And there's just so much chaos. That's the place that there's so much more work. And when we think about what God is calling us to, we think about the middle part or the work part. We end up quitting because it's too hard. That's when the head comes back and bites you in the arm. Or the tail comes back and strikes you in the face. And you hold on to the middle and it becomes a hard thing to handle. But God says specifically, when I give you something, when I turn this thing into something else, I want you to hold it by the tail. I want you to hold on to the end of the vision that I give to you. When you're going through a battle in your life, don't worry about what you saw in the beginning. Don't worry about what's going on in the middle, but visualize the end, the victory that I'm getting ready to give to you. Because that's where I'm at. I want you to hold on to the end. Hold on to the tail end of the vision because there's a victory for you at the end. And so God is careful with us. He knows how powerful his word can be and when he calls us to things. And so that's why he says prophecy only comes in part. If God prophesied over you and he used me to tell you you're going to, you're going to be a mother to nations. People are going to disrespect you. They're going to drag you under their feet. They're going to try to crucify you. You'll, you'll, they'll try to burn you at the stake at some point. But at the end, it's going to be all victorious. You're going to be like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the victory thing. I don't know if i got to go through all that for victory, God. If he told you the entire thing, you'd never start. But prophecy is given to you in part. So you could have something to hold on to. And God wants you to hold on to the end of that thing. Listen, many of you are called to places. I'm here to tell you, whatever God gave you, whatever the vision is, don't worry about the beginning of how to start it. Don't worry about the work in it, but hold on to the end of that thing. And as I close, I'm going to tell you that you can't avoid the battles that are coming to you. You'll never be able to run from the battles that come to you. In fact, you don't have to look for one, like I said in the beginning. They automatically come to you. But the key thing to remember here, focus on the win. Focus on the end. Focus on the good thing. Focus on the, the, the glory that is ahead. Paul said something that was powerful. He said, fight the good fight. What's so good about it? 
He got crucified upside down. So good about it. He was persecuted and thrown in jail. What's so good about this fight of faith, Paul? You got beaten and ridiculed and spit upon. But Paul understood it's not about what happened in the beginning of my ministry. It's not even about what I was going through during the work and the toil of my ministry. I held on to the glorious moment up ahead. And with all this stuff that happened to me, it was worth it. And the fight was a good one. You know why it was so good? Because while he was going through it, he knew that he already won. That's where your joy comes from. You already won. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm telling you something, you already won. Whatever the fight, whatever the battle, whatever struggle, you already won. Verse 17 says, the prophet came, Jezael or Jehazael, sorry if I could mispronounce his name. The prophet came and said, you will not have to do something. He said, you won't have to fight this battle. And then he told Judah, the land of people, my son. He told Judah, take up your positions. Stand firm and see the victory or see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So the first thing he tells them to do is, Judah, take up your position. I'm here to tell you I know no better position than on my knees. Remember what I said, your position is often linked with your identity. That's who you are. And if you're often on your knees, if you practice that practice of prayer, you are a praying man. You are a praying woman, and God will honor that. Take up your position in this battle. And then he says, stand firm. In other words, do not give up. Because when God tells you to take up your position and stand firm and you see the, the multitude rushing at you, you have a desire and you're tempted sometimes to go, let me just back up a little bit. God is saying, I don't care how close the war is coming. Take up that position and stand firm. In other words, have faith. Stand firm. And then the final thing he told them is see. See the victory or see the deliverance that God is going to bring to you. You don't have to fight this war. You will be delivered in the victory. Come on. is already yours. Come on, y'all. Can we stand to our feet in this place? 2022 is here. We've been anticipating it because 2021 sucked for many of us. 2022 is finally here. You've been saying, man, when this year comes, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. I'm going to seek him more. 
is your opportunity right here, right now. But I'm here to tell you these were keys. God gave me this word a while ago. But these are keys to help you see who you really are and how you ought to operate when it comes to the wars that are coming in your life. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? How many of you in this place can say, man, pastor, I've I had a battle or a struggle that I've been going through for a while now, and I'm still going through it. Thank you for this word, Lord. And I just want to lift my hands, and I'm going to declare that I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to take up my position going forward, and I'm going to see this victory and the deliverance that the Lord is going to bring to me. And if it doesn't come right now, no matter how close and how deep this war gets, no matter how close and no matter how deep this war gets, I'm going to choose to believe and hold on to the end vision and know that the victory is mine and I'm going to have joy no matter what in this battle. 